So life is not about balance. It's about rhythm. And if you ask any real drummer, they'll describe to you this experience, this place where rhythm exists. Uh, it's a drummer's heaven. They, they would call it life or rhythm in the pocket. It's a hard thing to identify, but you know when you're experiencing it, and those of you who were here last week, uh, you saw some rhythmic things happening here on stage. In fact, we had over 500 hits on YouTube and probably hundreds more through our Facebook page of people who watched part of last week's service where it was just these guys going crazy all over stage. It was so much fun. And for those of you who are here, you felt rhythm. You've experienced it. You know what it's like, and you also know, know what it's like when it's not happening. Well, when we began the series, I gave you a little bit about rhythm. I gave you three downbeats, life in the pocket downbeats. And the first is this, is when we're in the pocket, we're tuned into the seasons of life. We're aware of where we are right now. I was talking to a, a mom just this morning who was saying, life is just so busy right now. And I said, well, where are you finding rhythm? Where, where, where is God in this moment right now? And she said, I know that this season's not going to last forever. And she's trying to find rhythm right now in the season. Downbeat number two, uh, when we're in the pocket, we're tuned into how well we're leveraging our energy, our gifts, and our resources Just versus just filling our calendars with activity. We're really good at that, aren't we? We're good at just filling our lives with activity. I also said in downbeat number three, when we're in the pocket, we're tuned in to our ambition meter. And for some of us, what this meant is that we really need to check our motivations, what's driving us, what's really uh, motivating our actions, how we spend our time, our energy, and our resources. And for some of you, as you really evaluated your ambition meter, you realized that maybe it's time to crank it up a bit. You've been playing life a little safe. Maybe it's time to take some risks for God. He's given you a lot. Now it's time to really jump in. But for others, there are individuals who said, you know, maybe my ambition meter is in overdrive. And I'm doing so many things halfway. Wouldn't it be great if I could do just one thing really well? Then last week, we discovered this ancient Hebrew word, shalom. And shalom means this. It's completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfection, fullness, rest, harmony. It's all of these things, the absence of agitation or discord. Nothing can be added to or taken away from shalom. And this is the sense of who Jesus was and how he lived. And, and in turn, how he wants us to live and what he wants us to walk in. And we met a woman in Luke chapter 8 whose life was changed forever when she laid her life at the feet of Jesus. And he met her right in the midst of her sickness, in the midst of her turmoil, and showed her what real rhythm was all about. Life in the pocket, finding shalom. The truth about contentment, the truth about God himself. That's what this series has been about. And I hope it's resonated with you. I hope it continues to resonate with you as you move through the fall into this new season of life. Because if it doesn't, I, I worry about what is going to be the condition of your soul, of my soul. If we don't take time to really evaluate the rhythm and the speed of our soul. But this is week three. And there's still one more important question to answer. And I feel like it's the most important question of all. And it's left unanswered. This is it. What is it that God wants from you? What is it that God wants from you? Let me answer that question for you and for me today. 
in your very own yard sale. Well, there's, there's something about yard sales that have a certain rhythm to themselves, right? There's a, a certain technique to how they all unfold. If you've had one, you know about this. The key is maybe the right color poster board of the sign that you put out on Great Neck Road or somewhere else in a prominent place. I saw one guy who sacrificed a surfboard to the art of yard sale and he just had spray painted all over it, yard sale. Nobody wants that surfboard anymore. But there, there's timing. It, it happens really early on Saturday morning. And if you're going to yard sales, you know you better get up early if you want to get the good stuff. It's all about pricing. And you know, you think your things are worth a lot more than they actually are. And sometimes it takes a friend to say, you know what? Maybe that strange pink boa from 1975 is probably not worth 50 bucks. Maybe it's 50 cents, something of that sort. You know, there's a certain art to the negotiating process, right? And isn't it funny? We go to yard sales and what's listed at 50 cents, we really just want to give them 35 cents because that 15 cents really makes a difference. Who knows what it might buy? But, uh, and so there's a sense of pricing, product placement, negotiating techniques. But at the end of the day, the goal is that our trash, what? Our trash will somehow find treasure in the eyes of an unsuspecting bargain hunter. That's the goal. Now, I don't know much, I've never actually had my own yard sale, but I do get the point and I do get uh, the idea of getting rid of stuff because why? Because that's something I love to do. I love to throw stuff away. If there was a job, well, I guess there are jobs of people throwing stuff away, but uh, if I could just, like as a hobby, I love to, if you need help throwing stuff away, I'm afraid, maybe I'd kind of mean this, call me because uh, I, uh, I like to throw stuff away. My friends say that I get this stare on when, I, when it's time to clean something and I just start chucking stuff. I like clutter free, I like things to be clean. Uh, I can remember for the first five years of my marriage with Perrin, we had a couch and you know chair, a nice place to sit, but I sat on a milk crate right in front of the TV because it was just simple. I knew it was always there and that was it, clutter free and I could take it with me. Always had portable seating until the milk crate cracked and that's not comfortable seating anymore. I love, I love clutter-free. And, and I think, though, for most of us, that the reality is, is that getting rid of things is not easy. It's not always easy. Decluttering our lives has become a multi-million dollar a year industry. And there are reality shows that, uh, like Clean Sweep or Clean House that, that kind of make light of people who are in our shoes. And we laugh at them. But in reality, we know we're in the same spot. We need help decluttering our lives. And then there's, what, the darker side of that where we see experiences on TV where people turn to hoarding and they're, and they're keeping things just in an incredible fashion and it's controlling their lives. And really we hold on to these things, all of this stuff, whether it's in an attic or a basement for this very reason because you never know. I just might need that Spider-Man fishing pole one more time. I just might need that canoe paddle that's broken in half. Maybe you just don't want to make a full or stroke when you're, when you're canoeing. You just want half a stroke. Maybe I'm going to hold on to it. Maybe it's going to be valuable to my grandchildren one day. There are all kinds of things. And it's, it's hard to let go of stuff, but, but I think it's somehow even harder to let go of the things that we can't see. The things that the video illustrated, our past our wounds, our habits, the things that can without warning clutter the attics and the basements of our lives, of our souls. 
And that's really where the rhythm of our lives today meets Jesus and meets a person who he encounters in Mark chapter 10. And it's actually in three, the story is so important that three of the gospel writers tell their version of this story. It's about a rich young man who's trying to deal with his life, find the speed of his soul. He's desperate. And you can see by his approach that we'll read in these verses in a moment that he needs something right now. His life needs something right now, and if he doesn't get it, he knows that his soul is in jeopardy. His soul is in jeopardy. And so in Mark chapter 10, we're going to pick up this story in verse 17 of a man trying to dial in the speed of his soul. Let me tell you his story this morning. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what I like about the, the, the author in this particular, uh, this particular gospel, what I love about Mark here is that he really captures some of the emotion of this story. Other gospels give different perspectives, but he really captures the heart of this message. What was this man's approach? He ran up to him and fell on his knees. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? My life is out of whack. I've been following a certain procedure and process for my entire life. And everything is is going the way it's supposed to go. But I know that there's something missing. You get that in his posture. You get that in the way he approaches Jesus. But Jesus kind of turns the question on him a little bit. And he says this, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. So you can see the man's probably set back a little. Jesus, I'm confused because I'm coming to you. I've got questions here and you're talking about God. You could tell that there was some tension and some of the other gospel writers resolved that tension in a different way. But the essence here is there's something about this word good that meant something to this young man. You see, he got good. He understood good because for his entire life, he had been good. He had done the right things. Good made sense to him. Good brought him to a place where he was classified by this book as a rich young man. Not a richness, not even a rich old man, but a rich young man. He had done some things well. But Jesus kind of flips the question on him and says, maybe your question's all wrong. Maybe you're looking for something, you're looking for a system of doing, a system of good, and maybe my whole system is entirely different. So he sets the stage for what's to come. Verse 19 continues, You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And so at this point, when uh, individuals in Scripture approached Jesus, they were looking for a way to get over on him. The religious folks of the day were often trying to trip him up or to see if they could catch him in the act so that they had ammunition to to punish him. But I I don't believe that that's the approach of this rich young man. It wasn't just to be right because you see he approached him on his knees. Tell me what I must do. There's something wrong. And so Jesus goes to this litany, keep all of these commandments. And this is what the young man says. Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. What are the commandments that you've kept since you were a child? 
the things that you've done right, the system of learning, the system of, of how you handle yourself in business, all the things right, even relationally, and yet still you're in a place perhaps this morning where you've done what everyone else has said is the right thing, but still your soul is completely out of whack and it feels like your life is, is just in search of balance when balance doesn't even exist. I can relate to this guy. It says this, and I love this response. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, this wasn't just a religious guy who was looking for answers or trying to, to pigeonhole Jesus in a way to punish him. He was looking for truth. I think our posture and how we approach the scriptures is so important here. And we see this from this young man. If you want life change, if you want God to meet you, consider all, maybe consider your approach just for a moment. Is it about all the things that you've done right? Or maybe is it that one thing that you're missing? And he says this. He looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, Jesus said. One thing. Seems like lately we've been talking a lot about one things. There's a lot of one things Paul talked about. Here is the secret to contentment. Who is the one person that touched me in the crowd? That was last week's story. And here is this story where Jesus is saying there is one thing that you lack. This is a big thing. This is a thing that, that this young man probably wasn't ready for. In fact, I know that he wasn't by the, how the story ends. And there's a one thing for us too. And it may not be the same one thing that it was for this man. But let's find out what his was. One thing you lack, Jesus said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. Oh, anything but that, Jesus. Teacher, I was looking for something else. Please, anything but that. Because all of that stuff, Jesus, that's, that's, that's who I am. That's what's brought me to this place. I'm so confused. The rich young ruler had been taught his entire life that God's blessing was evident. The more you were doing the right stuff, the more stuff you would have, the more benefits, the more finances potentially. But Jesus knew for this young man to have and to connect with the rhythm that his soul craved, to have life beyond this world, he was going to have to be willing to sacrifice the one thing that in that moment meant more to him than anything. He said, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Imagine if you were that man. What would your response be? Because his response was this. As at this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. He had so much to lose. Can you relate to that this morning about the systems that we create intentionally and unintentionally? We have so much to lose. It's scary. And Jesus potentially is saying to us, there is one thing that is keeping me and you from being in this, this pocket of life and rhythm. And, it's, and while some of the, the rhythms of life are seasonally based and based around uh, how you're spending your time and energy. But at the end of the day, where do you and I stand? Where do you and God stand? This is really where the rubber meets the road for today's message. 
This is really where yard sale theology becomes real and in your face. This is where the rhythm of our soul meets real life. If you want to find the speed of your soul, there are three things you have to do. You've got to be willing to simplify, simplify, simplify. That was Jesus' message to this rich young man, and it's his message to us today. Let me tell you more about that. When we simplify, we declutter, we ask tough questions, we evaluate the stuff that we really need, we evaluate the stuff that really matters most. And if you want to find the speed of your soul, you got to first simplify your you. What do I mean by you? Your you is everything that you are. It's your talents, your time, your energy, your calling, your gift mix, your resources. There is a lot of you, but perhaps somehow the a lot of you is starting to spread so thin, so thin, and your soul is just out of whack right now. One of my favorite leadership experts, Jim Collins, wrote this. He said that if... uh, that maybe so often we love to make these to-do lists, maybe it's time to start making a stop doing list. He talked about a little bit about that at the uh, Leadership Summit this year, but he first started writing about these themes back in 1993 in the midst of uh, the boom of doing. But he says this, entrepreneurial companies often go from garage startup to thriving companies precisely because their founders are Herculean doers. Are you a Herculean doer? I tell you what, uh, to, just to be a, a parent today, to, to be able to keep up with technology, to be able to keep uh, relevant with what's going on in the world, to keep up with news, to keep up with all that's going on, we have to be Herculean doers. And Collins recognized that there were some entrepreneurial companies who had this sense of Herculean doing, but this is really significant. At latter stages, however, a founder's compulsive doing usually inhibits progress. Now, that doesn't make sense. Shouldn't the doing somehow make things happen even more? But it doesn't. Founders who turn their entrepreneurial business into an enduring great company don't continue with obsessive doing, but rather impose upon themselves the demanding discipline of not doing. The demanding discipline. Discipline of not doing. To not do takes discipline. It takes work. It takes hard work. And it requires us to say, I'm going to demand of myself that I'm going to move in this direction. And maybe that means I'm going to have to stop doing some things. Collins gives gives these two pre-qualifying questions for our stop doing list. He says, first, what are you deeply passionate about? Those are the things that, you know, that just really energize you, really, really energize you. And second, he says, what are you genetically encoded for? What activities do you feel that you are just made to do? Now, we can't spend 100% of our time doing the things that we were made to do, can we? We can't all do that because we still have to pump gas. We still have to pay bills. We still have to make beds and, uh, and wipe runny noses and paint houses and pressure wash and all the things that you're thinking about that you wish you were doing right now. All of those things still have to get done. But what if you could spend just 
I don't know, a third of your time, maybe a quarter of your time, more than you are doing right now, doing the things that you are specifically and intrinsically wired by your creator to do. And you've been waiting for the right moments to do all of these things. And maybe God is saying, this is your right moment right now. But you're going to have to stop doing something, maybe to do something else well. What are some of the things that have worked for you in the past but are long past their expiration date. You know, I think businesses find this, and Collins found this here, that there are certain tactics and approaches that may work for a season, and then we keep doing them because that's what we've always done, right? We're really good at doing what we've always done. But maybe relationally, maybe financially, maybe with your relationship with God, what you thought had to happen, maybe it's time for a shift. Maybe it's time for a new perspective. Maybe there's something that you need to take a break from, even just for a season. You know, this is the sense of Sabbath, uh, that we work and we work, but we take a moment to reflect on who God is and what he wants to then pour into us because we spend our lives pouring out. I was at Outback the other day, and there were a group of ninth grade girls that were sitting at a table by, uh, by my family, and usually with three kids and, and Cheerios flying, you know, we are like the center of attention in any place. And so we try to go to loud places where people don't mind that stuff. So we, uh, we were, Perrin and I were looking, she kind of nudged me and she said, look over there, you know, like you all do. And there was this group of girls that was sitting around a table and every single one of them had the, the, the glow of their cell phone on their face as they're giggling and talking, probably texting one another. And and I remember a couple years ago thinking this, like, this phenomenon's going to pass. I was driving back, uh, took a bunch of kids to water country, and I'm in the van in the front seat driving, because that's, that's where drivers sit, and, and they're in the back seat sitting where passengers sit. Nobody's talking. I'm like, so what's up, guys? And all I hear is click, 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 it's a crack voice, middle school. So... And I'm, I'm thinking, what's happening? They're starting conversation. And now it's just like, this is life. We're all sitting around texting. And you know what? I find myself doing that at the dinner table. I find myself getting sucked into those same ruts. And, and, and where I'm, it seems like I'm present. I'm not saying anything to you. I mean, my eyes are somewhat focused. But a young fellow in Boston at Gordon-Conwell Seminary had a program for students who are considering uh, being in ministry and sifting through the call of God of their lives. And one of the things that he had to do was turn his cell phone off for a month. Imagine that. You're 17 years old, and you have to turn your cell phone off for a month. Well, wouldn't that be great if we could do that? <laughs> How would anybody get in touch with us? What if our kids need us? And we can't do that for a month. What if we could do it for 15 minutes? What if we could do it while we're at dinner with our family? What if we could, we could just set aside some distractions and just for a moment take a Sabbath from technology or from the TV or something and just be present? What might the dividends be as you simplify your you? If you want to find the speed of your soul, you is not enough. You also have to simplify your relationships. One of my favorite authors uh, and just heroes of the faith is a fellow, his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Many of you may have read his books and heard the story of his life, but he wrote this particular book, Life Together, while he was in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany. But he was someone who got community, got the benefit of relationships and what people really meant when they were living together, what rhythm was represented in community. He wrote these words. 
the more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. Bonhoeffer gets community. He gets the reality and the, impor the importance and the urgency of simplifying our relationships. Now, what am I suggesting here? I think so often we get in the practice of, of having more relationships. And, and one of the questions that I ask you is, are your relationships getting more real or are they just getting more? I'm an extrovert, and so I love being around people. I could spend all day with all of you all the time. It's just fun. I don't care what time of day it is. I just love being around people. At the end of a, a, a long retreat, uh, I want to sit around and talk with you about what just happened. How did that feel? And the rest of you are like, I'm not going over to your house after a retreat because uh, I'm already drained. I'm <laughs> just looking at you. Hopefully not. But I, I, I love being around people. But my tendency, if I'm left to my own devices, is to be a mile wide and an inch deep. And I miss the reality of what Bonhoeffer was trying to say and his suggestion that we have to simplify our relationships. To really go, be willing to go deeper with a few, just like Jesus did. He was very selective in those that he went deeper with and those lives were changed forever. Who are the relationships in your lives right now that you need to remove some of the clutter? What might the clutter be? It might be those just mundane conversations where you're always asking the same stuff and you're always giving the same answers. And you like being in the presence of these individuals, but those relationships are taking you nowhere. There are some of you that have relationships right now that maybe you need to spend less time with. And maybe spend more time with others. But for some of you, it might just be simply this. It might be that you need to remove some of the clutter and start asking the hard questions. How are you? How is your soul? Maybe for those of you who are just starting to walk with God or starting to consider the things of faith, maybe you need to find individuals who are further along in their faith and ask them, where do I need to be? Where is your soul? And allow them to ask the tough questions of you. Maybe God's challenging you if you've been walking with God for a while or, or maybe not even. And, and he's saying you need to find yourself in positions with people who are far from me so that you could ask them the tough questions. But your relationships are simplified and that your focus is clear. This is why I'm here with you. Who have you given the right to speak into the clutter of your life? Who is someone who can say, even beyond your spouse, maybe a good friend, that can say, you know what, this is something right now that just isn't lining up. And I bet your life is feeling out of whack. Who have you given the right to do that to? What has to be cleared away in order, in order to allow for greater depth between you and those close to you? So this is important stuff. We've got to simplify our you, our time. Maybe even, maybe even write down a stop doing list today. What a great time of year to do this as school starts. Even if you don't have kids in school, if you're not going back to school, it seems like our whole world resets in September. And as I was really praying through, like, God, what do you really want us to focus on and teach in August? It really was this sense of let's start something new this year. Let's break some traditions of the past Let's really go after a new me. Let's simplify our you. Let's simplify relationships. But you know, it's, it's really in this final thought. And we see this in this story in Mark chapter 10. 
that our rhythm for life hangs in the balance. And this was the one thing that this rich young man could not do, but it was the very thing he needed to do. It's the very thing that we have to do today, and it's this. If you want to find the rhythm of your soul, the rhythm that your soul craves, life at its best, regardless of the season, regardless of what's going on right now, how fast or slow you're moving, it's simply this. You've got to find a way to simplify your soul. Now, what do I mean by this? In verse 21, it says that Jesus looked at him and he said, One thing you lack. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Here's the thing, people. This, this verse is not just about money. And I think a lot of people misunderstand and maybe even avoid Christianity because they're waiting for a pastor to get up and read this verse. And then I got to give everything away. Maybe for some of you, that's the case. But for a lot of us, for the majority of us, that one thing may not be money. It, may, it could be any number of things. But it's the one thing that we know in our heart of hearts, in the deepest parts of our soul. God, I just can't give this up. Because if I give this up, I am all on my own. And I've got to trust in something that I can't see, that I can't feel, that I can't touch or taste God, that is scary, and I don't know if I'm willing to do that. And that's where we find this young man. Because his whole life was based on what he had done. And now he was here, and Jesus was saying, everything that you did, you're missing the point. It's about me right here. You want real treasure? Give it away. Give that away. And then come and follow me. Now, I can't write scripture, nor would I ever try to. But I wonder if he had said okay, what would Jesus' response have been? You see it in the story of Zacchaeus, which is another gospel story, where Zacchaeus said, just offered, I will give you, I'll give all of this back and more. And Jesus didn't say then give it all. Jesus was pleased and he said, you are one of mine today. It's not just about money. It's not just about stuff. It's not just about getting rid of stuff so that others can have stuff. Sometimes it's about that, but it's really about that one thing that is keeping you from your soul from tracking with the God of the universe and his disciples caught how just how difficult this idea was because they wrestled with it and they were like well if, if, if this guy who did everything right and has all this stuff to show for it if he's wrong then, then how in the world does one find rhythm for their soul how do we have life beyond this life Jesus and they got just how difficult this was. Because here's the reality. The disciples got. This is not something we can do on our own. It's not something we were ever intended to do on our own. We can't simplify our souls on our own. It requires Jesus. It requires us to say, all right, here's everything I have. Here's my one thing and my other hundred things that I could just stack up and I'll put them out on this yard sale table. Jesus, you can have it all and do what you want with it. What is that one thing? What is that one thing? And Jesus said, I get it. And I was waiting for you to get it too. And he responds in verse 27 by saying, with man this is impossible, but not with God. Because with God, all things are possible. All things are possible with God. 
Everything. That's, and, and that means that everything that, that right now that you're, that you're standing in front of, that you're saying, I can't get beyond this, I can't do this myself, Jesus said, well, you were never intended to do it yourself. Just lay it at my feet. Just lay it at my feet because I want to take this from you. I want to restore the rhythm of your soul. You see, the rich young man approached Jesus saying, give me more to do. And Jesus responded simply by saying, give me more of you. And that begins by placing your trust, your security, your hope in me, not in anything else. It's time to simplify your soul today, rich young man. And so this is really it. We're back to the question that we started with. What is it then that God wants from you? What is it that he wants from me? I don't know that I like this answer. <laughs> it's definitely not an easy pill to swallow. It's an easy prescription. But this one's tough because this is it. What does he want? He wants it all. <laughs> he wants your stuff, your dreams, your family, your children, your financial future, your past, your hurts, your addictions, your habits, your heart. He wants it all. And when we do this, somehow, miraculously, we see this through Scripture. He gives us everything in return. Everything. It's the rhythm that our soul craves. Somehow in God's kingdom, in the letting go of ourselves, we find the one who created us and who we were created to be. And we find the rhythm that our life craves, a contentment, a wholeness, something that our thirsty souls desperately need. We've got to have this. And some of you are here today, maybe for the first time, and this is it. You're waiting for this moment. What is God saying to you? He's saying, I want it all. Just trust me. Because you can't do it on your own, but with me, Everything that you're facing right now, you can do this because of me. And that, my friends, as we start to connect with the rhythm of our soul, our thirsty, thirsty soul, and, and to really wrestle in and dial in the speed of our lives as we answer these tough questions, that indeed is the yard sale for the ages. Would you pray with me today? Gracious God, I, as I take stock of my own life, I think about how, how many one things there are that often drive my soul so out of balance. I, it's hard for me to stand at times. But I thank you, God, that, uh, that you remind me through this story, my friends here today, of just, oh, Lord, what it means to rest in you. To know that we can't do this on our own. That we were never intended to do this on our own. But there is indeed often one thing that's keeping our souls from being in balance with you. Something that we have to lay down and maybe something that we have to pick up in return. So God, in these moments, I pray that you would inspire, would you define, would you refine our thirsty souls in Jesus' name.